Shalom. I am Leontine. And I'm Alan. Bruchim Habaim. Welcome to our podcast, Yala Israel. We invite you to discover the life and history of Israel, past, present, and future. Yala is a very popular slang expression in Israel, originating from Arabic, meaning, come on, let's go. So, Yala. Shalom, Ellen. Shalom, Leontine. Shavua Tov. Good week to you. How are you today? Oh, I'm pretty good because it's cherry season. Mm. That's one of my favorite seasons. I look forward to cherries every year, and they always arrive in uh, May, late May, June. Um, so I look forward to going to the markets to buy my cherries, but the only cherries that I buy are cherries from the Golan Heights. Those are my favorite. Ah, only from the Golan, not from the Goosh? Uh, the Goosh, those cherries are a little too small for me and less sweet. But the ones from the Golan are very large. So when I go to the Shuk, go to the, the market, I always ask for Golan cherries. But this week, I, had, I was very fortunate to be guiding in the Golan Heights. Uh, and I stopped on the side of the road with my, my tourist, and I bought... Golan cherries uh, from the village of Majdal Shams. Ah, uh, it's the cherries that I see here I actually, next I to you? I actually brought some for Ooh, you, yes. Wonderful. So let me try one. Mm, oh, they're big and shiny. They are beautiful. You see, there are two kinds. There's the red yeah. and then there's kind of the yellow oranges cherry. Yeah, you know how the yellow ones, we call them in France, the Napoleon. Napoleon? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> so let me try it. Mm. Wow, they're really sweet. They, they are. I think the in cherries you have good years uh, and bad years, and this is a very very good year. I'm buying cherries every day almost. Also, just I didn't pick them. You didn't pick them in the Golan. No, no, no. We did not. You know, sometimes you take your groups uh, cherry picking, or I'll go uh, cherry picking with my family. Yeah. Uh, my daughter uh, lives in Tekoa in the Gush Etzion, and so she and her husband Yaakov and their grand and my granddaughter, their daughter Lavana. They actually go picking uh, near Kfar Etzion in the Gush. Nice, very nice. So yeah, the the I didn't know. I don't. Well, I'll try to see the difference. I'll do a tasting of cherries from huh. the Gush and Golan. But I really love them, and I think that this year is a good year. They're very sweet, very big, very juicy, firm. They're 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 really amazing. Better than last year. Just like the watermelon, by the way. The watermelon this year is very good. Last year. So, so, so. Maybe because we had so much rain. We had so much rain mm. this winter. Maybe that uh, helped the watermelon and the cherries. Yeah, very true. How, very is, true. how was your week? So, my week was uh, good. Uh, good and a little bit sad, uh, but still uh, good. I was actually uh, past weekend in Tel Aviv uh, because... For a beautiful and sad reason, uh, three years ago, nearly three years ago, a nephew of my sweet husband, Shlomo, passed away in a bicycle accident. His name was David, David Gombin. Uh, in, here they say David Gombin in uh, Israel. He was, uh, you know, just one of those people, very sweet, very smart, very beautiful, uh, very a good person. Uh, he came here very young. He, he made Aliyah all by himself. Uh, Aliyah means coming to to come and live in Israel uh, all by himself when he was in his 20s. Uh, he met a young uh, 
woman. Uh, they married, had a child together, a boy called Matan, and then he was a journalist. He, he started, he did studies here for journalism and became a journalist here in uh, Israel. And then one morning, um, stupid car, uh, stupid bicycle accident, and he fell and died. Which was, was that? Was it in Tel Aviv? Was uh, uh, in the uh, north of Tel Aviv, close to Caesarea. On because, the highway? No, uh, on a smaller road, and it was he just like he grabbed something while he was biking, and he made a, a movement uh, mm. to the side, and just then the car passed. Mm. And tragic. Very sorry. Very. Yes. It was very, very, very sad. He left uh, behind a young wife and a little boy. But the, the family-in-law of David Gombin, as they say here, they decided to um, set up, a, to launch a foundation uh, where they give an award of $100,000 uh, to um, young documentary makers. And so we went to Tel Aviv because on uh, Saturday evening was the launch of the foundation. And as my, my husband Shlomo was very close to David, he, you know, it was very important, of course, for him to be there. And um, so it was a very uh, beautiful and sad, uh, but, you know, uh, beautiful, beautiful moment. So that was my, my weekend in Tel Aviv, what I did forget because i did live in tel aviv for three years actually in the beginning when we moved here i forgot um, how hot and humid it gets in tel aviv and i was so happy to be back in uh, jerusalem where we're very high in the you know we're in the mountain top of a mountain and it's very fresh in the evening and uh, even if it's hot during the day you know there's always some fresh air so that was uh, it was almost a, also a relief to be back in jerusalem so yeah, that was my week. Well, what a what a wonderful tribute to uh, Shlomo's uh, relative. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. very beautiful. And uh, every year there will be a ceremony, you know, for the new award. So and and yeah, it was. Uh, I think so too. It's uh, it's very beautiful. So Leontine, you know, last uh, few episodes we decided to drink wine, but now uh, I think we were a little loose tongued. Yeah. Uh, so now we've switched to coffee. And it's a bit I, early also, I, no, I'm, to have wine. Yeah, but I'm drinking a wonderful cup of uh, cappuccino, which in Israel we call hafuch, uh, upside down. A cappuccino provided by our, our host, uh, the Villa Brown Hotel. Mm, thank you, Brown. And wonderful croissants and uh, pain au chocolat, chocolate croissants, uh, kind of shiny and fresh and beautiful. They're really spoiling us. Thank yes. you, Brown, for letting us record here. So what are we talking about today? So... The topic of the day uh, is the Solomon Pools, the Solomon Pools in Bethlehem. Now, first of all, Bethlehem is a, a town, a small city south of Jerusalem within the Palestinian Authority uh, area in what we call Zone A. So it is actually an area in within the Palestinian Authority where when you are an Israeli, you are not allowed to go, first of all. And secondly, if you are a tourist and you come with a rental car, you cannot go either. You cannot bring in your rental car. Now, um, in Bethlehem... You know, King David was born in Bethlehem. Yes. And what the, what does it mean, Bethlehem? Bethlehem. The house of bread. Exactly. You know who else was born in Bethlehem? Yes. <laughs> uh, Jesus was also uh, born in Bethlehem. Of course, very important. So we, we go to Bethlehem, uh, both of us, quite often with our tourists to visit the Church of Nativity. 
which is the, the place where, according to tradition, it's a church built on top of where, according to tradition, Jesus was born. Now, we know that in Bethlehem are the Solomon Pools, and there we have, hadn't been uh, with our tourists yet. During the COVID period, when we were not working, we had a lot of time, we did a lot of trips, and we decided, together with Shmuel and Shlomo, my uh, sweet husband, to go and try and visit the Solomon Pools. And uh, that was quite an adventure. Now, first of all, what are the Solomon Pools? The Solomon Pools in Bethlehem, uh, you have three huge pools where uh, water is led to from different water sources. The water is gathered in the three uh, water basins. And then from there, an aqueduct was built towards Jerusalem to bring water to Jerusalem. The Solomon Pools go back to the time of what we call the Hasmoneans. So it's a bit more than 2000 years ago. But they were named after Solomon, and we will explain to you why. Um, and this is the site that uh, we decided to go and visit. Now, it became quite an adventure, and we're going to tell you all about it. What happened there, oh, Ellen? Yes, uh, Leontine still has a, a trauma uh, from that visit to Solomon Pools uh, that she'll tell you about. Um, but before we talk about the trauma of that visit, and by the way, in in retrospect, she'll tell you it was not a good idea, but uh, I want to remind her that it was her idea. She's the one that said, "Yalla, let's really? go." Yes, you said, "Let's go to to see the Solomon pools." Only good ideas I have. But speaking of Solomon, so one of the legends uh, of why it's called Solomon's pools and why it's attributed to Solomon, even though today we scientifically know that he didn't build the pools; that they were built by the Hasmoneans. Uh, and then later by Herod. But the legend is is that uh, Solomon built the pools because they're massive for his 700 wives and 300 concubines to bathe in. And they certainly are large enough. So it uh, makes sense that these 11, these 1,000 women would have a place to bathe. Yeah, actually, I prefer the legend than to the real story. Uh, just the idea of a man having to take care, entertain, spend time with 1,000 women. Uh, it kind of puzzles me. Uh, how did he do it? But so the idea that he had a, um, these huge pools uh, built for his uh, all these wives and, and girlfriends to bathe in, I think it's a very beautiful story, but we know as a matter of fact that they were not built uh, in the time of Sam's, Samson. Solomon, <laughs> and uh, but he did build a lot of other things. I will talk about that in other podcasts. Um, no, they were built uh, in the time of the Hasmoneans, and um, you so the, the pools, you can actually visit them. We decided to go and visit them. I mean, it was probably my idea because it's a very good idea, but a real adventure happened to us, uh, which uh, uh, left uh, not such a good memory. So what happened, Anna? So, <laughs> so like I said, Leontine came up with the great idea, which was a great idea. I will give you credit for that. Uh, to go visit the Solomon Pools that we're rarely able to see because it's in Area A of the Palestinian Authority that is off limits to a lot of uh, Israelis, particularly Jewish Israelis. Uh, but as tour guides, we're able to take uh, people into Bethlehem. But the pools are kind of uh, off, off the beaten track. So we thought that it would be a good opportunity to visit the pools, and we, I think we started um, by calling uh, the Gush Etzion, um, I don't know what field it is. School. The, the field, field school. The field school, because yes. they supposedly have the key, or they'll, they'll, they'll take you in. 
Um, uh, but they weren't available that day. So we figured, you know what? We're tour guides. We have our badges, you know, who we need, we need our stinking badges. So we have our tour guide badges, uh, which we, we feel it's gives us uh, quite a bit of importance. So we drove into Bethlehem and we found the pools, which was not easy to find. We were going through some alleyways and, uh, uh, you know, making our way around a little bit, uh, timid about it. Uh, by the time we got to the pools uh, and located them, we found that they were under lock and key. They were surrounded by uh, tall fences uh, and locked gates. Uh, and we just figured we'll walk along the gate and take uh, pictures of these incredible pools. Now, the pools are so massive. Uh, I would say each pool, there are three pools. There's the upper pool, the middle pool, and the lower pool. And I would say each one is probably about five or six American football fields. They're huge, huge. So we started taking pictures, and these uh, vicious dogs, was it more than one dog? I think it was a couple of dogs. Yeah, these, yeah. These dogs that kind of growled and showed you their, their sharp teeth came to the gate, and we got a little nervous, and what, that's when we, a, a young man approached behind the dogs from the other side of the gate. Right, so he was uh, the guard, And he said, you know what, uh, come in. And he opened the gate. He told his dogs to back off. And so we thought like, wow, what is this? We are so honored. You know, we were wearing our badges. We felt very important. So we entered uh, through the gate and then uh, getting closer to the pools. So the pools are hewn out of the bedrock. Eh? It's, it's very, very impressive. They're very deep uh, and huge pools, I said, Ellen. So we were looking at the pools from a, from a, another gate with a, a door and a big uh, lock on it. A big padlock. Yes. So no one was going in unless somebody had the key. Right. And there goes the guard. He says, you know what? And he opened the, the door and said, go and have a look. So there we went. We were so happy. And wow, what a great I, you, idea. You don't remember. We were standing close to the gate looking into the pool. And he says, no, 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 no. Go further. Go further. And we're thinking, wow, this guy is really hospitable and, and and you know there's a big area to cover three pools so we started walking around the pools getting very far from uh from this gate and uh actually even Sh uh shmuel was climbing up to the second pool the middle pool and uh shlomo and leontine were walking around Um, I think trying to also go up to the second pool, the middle pool. Pro I don't remember because then something happened that uh, kind of took up all the space of my memory. Uh, suddenly, Alan, he was, you were a little bit behind and there was uh, suddenly vo voices. And what were they telling you, Alan? Oh, these guys. So I look over across the five <laughs> football field links to where we had come from, the gate, and I see the the guard, and I see five or six men, uh, several of them in police uniforms, and they're yelling, what are you doing? You know, in, in uh, kind of Arabic and Hebrew and broken English, uh, waving us to come, come back, that we weren't supposed to be there. And I'm like, what's going on here? I, I'm starting to feel like we were duped. We and were. I, and I, I walked back to the gate, and um, they start cross-examining me, uh, yelling at me, uh, asking for my ID and asking what I'm doing there and, uh, and, and, and why, why did we climb the fence right. to so, get to see these pools? This yes. is off limits and, 
and uh, it just started snowballing downhill from there. It did. So we don't. We still don't know really what happened. Did the guards want to be nice, and then a police car came by and saw us and started blaming him that we were there? And then so then he defended himself, saying, "Oh, but they climbed over. I didn't see them. I don't know what they're doing here." Did he do it on purpose, like trap us there and then call the police? You know, we don't know. I, I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Because when he when he let us in the first gate. He got on the phone to someone ah, true. when he decided to open the second gate and told us, no, no, go, go, go. I, I believe uh, that he was talking to the superiors, the security forces in Palestine or in Bethlehem. And they said, you know, hold these guys, keep, keep them until we get there. Right. And the only way he could hold us there is to let us go see the pools. So the good thing is we got to see the the pools. Right, that's true. And then, but then when we all got back, there were about ten, fifteen guys standing there. So it was what the secret services of the Palestinian Authority, different police officers. More and more police cars were, were uh, coming by the moment. Coming with the sirens. Even there was um, uh, some people from the you know the the Palestinian Archaeological Authority. Uh, there were lots and lots of people. They were all taking our ID. They were taking pictures of it. They were actually taking pictures of us. We didn't know actually when we had to smile for the pictures or look very sad and guilty. Uh, they were all speaking with each other, yelling with each other, like fighting with each other and yelling at us. Uh, we were all thinking, oh, wow, this we are in big trouble. But in the end... They basically kicked us out of Bethlehem. So we were escorted outside of Bethlehem. Uh, yeah, we got a police escort. Two, yes. Two cars, one in front and one in back, following right. us to the uh, to the checkpoint. Right. So, so uh, th well, to see the pools was amazing. The experience was a bit traumatizing for me, at least. Uh, I think Alan uh, has a good memory of it, but for me, it was a bit traumatizing, but um i i for this podcast i looked back uh, i went back on the internet and i looked back to you know get some information and i see they have a beautiful website now the solomon pools and uh, so i don't i don't get it why are they not promoting the pools well um while leontine was not happy about the experience and said that we probably made a mistake and i what would i tell you i says no it's not a mistake this is a great story uh, great experience. We got to see, first of all, we got to see the Solomon Pools. Second of all, what a great story to tell in a podcast. Um, but um, what I haven't shared with Leontine until now uh, is that uh, Shmuel, Browns, and I uh, went back to the pools. Once, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember, the, the police officers he was showing us back to the, to the checkpoint um, he, he, in the end confided in me that the, the, the big problem wasn't just that we climbed the, the fence that we didn't climb, which we didn't, <laughs> um, that, but that it was COVID they were on lockdown and shut down and then guides are not guides. We were not allowed in. And that was the, the big violation. Um, so once the pandemic lifted and the rules and, and the lockdown ended, uh, Shmuel and I went back in to see the pools because we didn't get to see the upper two pools. Now, it's interesting because these, these three massive pools supplied water to Jerusalem uh, back at the time of the, of the second temple when water was, was needed in, in large quantities. But these pools are built in a stepped-down uh, way. I don't know if you remember that. Yes. Okay. You actually have the upper pool, 
which is 20 feet or six meters. Is that what? Six, six meters? meters, yes. Six meters above the middle pool. And then the m- middle pool is drops down another 20 meters to the lower pool, which is for the purpose of gravity, to give gravity to force the water because it's got to get from the hills of, of Bethlehem to the hills of Jerusalem. And there's and, very little difference eh, in I th- height. I think it's like uh, the, the, the aqueducts actually go at a gradient of less than 1%. Mm. So you need that you need that velocity um, and gravity, uh, and that's the way that they did it over two thousand years ago. So it's quite quite incredible to see. It is absolutely yeah, it's absolutely and 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 now we both as tour guides we go into Bethlehem quite often uh, because we are allowed to, even though we're Israelis, we have a special permit. And then usually we go to the Church of Nativity, uh, which is a beautiful church built over the the man manger or the manger. Uh, the, and the cave where Jesus was born. Uh, and I have n- never never taken tourists to the Solomon Pus, but maybe this is something I'm going to do. Um, now, where do you take people for lunch? Uh, first of all, uh, inside Bethlehem, there's some great, they have kanafe <coughs> and they have uh, makluba and wonderful things to eat. But I wanted to say about another option if you don't want to go into Bethlehem, which which is understandable, uh, particularly after we just told you this story, but if you don't want to go into Bethlehem, you can go a little past Bethlehem to the south, enter into the uh, Jewish um, town of Ephrat, and once you enter the uh, the checkpoint, uh, the the guard gate into Ephrat, you head back to the north into what they now call North Ephrat. And right there at the entry to North Ephrat is a wonderful uh, cafe uh, where you can get some sandwiches and it's got a beautiful view of the area. And then you drive through uh, to the end, to the edge of that neighborhood, and you're looking right down uh, onto the pools. So you can you can see it uh, without going into Bethlehem. You just can't touch it. You can see it, um, and it's it's quite incredible from that view. Uh, with a cup of coffee and a sandwich from the from the uh, um, from the cafe of Afrat, but inside Bethlehem, do you have a do you have a place that that you like to eat? Yes, I do. So, uh, guys, when I go to Bethlehem, usually I go with small groups. Like I usually have more my private uh, clients. Alan, usually when you go to Bethlehem, you are go with groups, right? So when I go to Bethlehem, I um, most of the times I have a driver that comes from Bethlehem. And so I usually ask him, where should we go and have lunch? And he uh, recommended us a little, little place. It looks like a snack bar. It looks like nothing. And uh, there they make the best makloub or makluba, which is like a typical Palestinian rice dish with lots of herbs, onions, cauliflower, uh, cinnamon and um, the smell when you open the the pan is wow! It's amazing. You have to order that like uh, twenty four hours in advance, don't they? Cook it over yeah, overnight. Yeah, but uh, usually I I was lucky each time to come when you know on the days that they made it. So that's it's I don't even know the name. It's called Abu something. It's uh, but I know where it is, um, and that is and it's you know the, it costs very little money. It's a, it's an amazing amazing place. Anyway, I love to go to Bethlehem. The people are very sweet there. I like to go there also because it helps the economy a little bit. Um, so that's where I go to. Now, uh, the question of the week. 
What is the question of the week? It comes from uh, Simone, who um, is a French woman who has been many, many times to Jerusalem, actually. She, she knows Jerusalem quite well, but there's one thing that she doesn't know, and that's her question. Why are there so many cats in Jerusalem? And that's a great question, because there are a lot of cats, and they're not pets. They are stray cats, feral cats. Um, and the story is, is that in the, in, in, during the British mandate period from 1917 to 1948, the British are interested in beautifying, uh, Palestine. They do it in a variety of ways. They actually start planting some trees and they start, uh, making height requirements in, in Jerusalem and they require that the stone be in Jerusalem stone, the stone that you see here. Um, another thing they do, they discover that there are a lot of rats. There's a rat infestation problem in Palestine. And how do you solve a problem like rats? You import cats. So the British, uh, in 1917, uh, import cats. They bring cats into Palestine. And today we have uh, very few rats, uh, but we have a lot of cats. We do. We do. So when you walk through the city, you'll see cats everywhere. Some cats look really good because they, they actually got taken care of by the, uh, the people of Jerusalem. So you see every now and then mostly women, by the way, that come in early in the morning or end of the day with cat foods. And there's like a huge line of cats uh, that is following them and they get uh, fed in specific places by these women. Uh, other cats just take care of themselves. I, For instance, I have friends who live close to us in a house. They have a beautiful garden. And in the garden, they build a kitchen uh, with a barbecue. And in the cupboard of the kitchen, there are female cats that come every month, every two months, to give birth to baby cats there. They don't feed them, but they, the cats feel safe there. Um, now, the city of Jerusalem does do something about the amount of cats, because there shouldn't be too many. So every now and then, they capture the cats and they sterilize them. So that's a, a way, because you, you do see a lot of baby cats otherwise around. And, of course, do we prefer rats or cats? Personally, I prefer cats. You've seen... You've come into my building. Have you seen the cat that lives off to the left side yeah, of the entryway? Yeah, yeah. So our neighbor uh, adopted this cat many years ago, and now Diane, my my sweet Diane, you Good. keep saying sweet, sweet Shlomo. So my sweet Diane uh, also adopted this cat, and she calls her Malka. Malka means queen because she sits there uh, cared for by the neighbors like a queen. True. Yes, she is a queen. So you, you have a queen living outside of your apartment in Jerusalem. That's very chic, Alan. Thank you for listening to Yala Israel. As always, you can find us on Spotify, Buzzsprout or your favorite podcast app. You can send questions or contact us on Instagram at Yala Israel Podcast. Talk to you next week.